All right, so earlier, uh, those of you that don't know me, you got to know that I'm a high school teacher, so I ask a lot of questions, and I'm totally used to a room of people not answering them back, so I can be awkward. It's okay. You don't have to say anything back, but if you want to, that'll make me feel just right at home, so um, if I ask a question and you want to answer it, like sometimes I'll give you a little and you can say that. Um, I'm really, really glad to be talking to you. Uh, there's been a particular passage of scripture that's been on my mind and in my heart for quite a while now. Um, by quite a while, I mean like 20 years. So, um, but it's something that's kind of come back up recently. And so I knew the next time that I was going to uh, speak the message in church, I was probably going to speak on this. And, um, and that is Romans 12. It's a passage of scripture that um, you've heard before. And even if you're like, I don't know if I've heard it. Once I start reading it, you'll be like, yep, heard that before. Probably heard lots of sermons before. Um, And there is a song that immediately comes to my mind. And I think it's the song that started this whatever feeling inside. Um, And it is, anybody listen to Christian music in like the late 90s, early 2000s? Okay. So there was this band called Cademan's Call, and they were kind of like an indie rock folk band. And I, I was, ba- my little group of college friends, we basically followed them like the Grateful Dead. So it was like a lot nerdier and a lot clean because um, we were church kids, we didn't do anything bad. No, we really were pretty <laughs> clean gut kids, but we loved going and watching this band and they didn't sing praise and worship just for everybody else. It was really more just songs out of the heart of a couple of mostly two guys. And um, there's this one song uh, called Coming Home. So if any of you know the band Cademan's Call and you know this song, I'm basically just going to read the first few lyrics. And then I'm going to give you a real good idea of what like angsty 19, 20-year-old Toby was like. Um, And so I'm not going to sing it. I kind of want to sing it, but I'm not going to sing it. Uh, So... (laughs) So the first line goes, you say you want a living sacrifice. Anybody know the next line? Let's see how none of y'all are that diehard fans then. Now, the next one is, well, I'm a burnt offering, crawling off the altar and back into the fire. And with my smoke-filled lungs, I cry out for freedom. And there's some verses after that. But those verses really, really did something in me made me think about being a Christian differently than I had before. Um, If you don't know, I did grow up in church. Church for me, though, was something I did to be good. It wasn't uh, that deep, okay, for a long time in my life. And then I got to college, and I met a lot of people who didn't grow up exactly like how I grew up, and they all saw and worshiped God in very different ways, and it just totally blew my mind. God became so much bigger than I had ever thought before. And then that work has been going on um, for 20-plus years at this point. Um, And so this idea of living sacrifice, that's in Romans. It's in the very first part of Romans. But this idea of a living sacrifice versus a burnt offering. And that was even in the verse in Micah. And, um, you know, 20-year-old me felt like a burnt offering. Anybody relate to this? Anybody ever felt like a burnt offering? spent up, like, you've given up the bad things, maybe, and so what's next? 
Um, what's the living part of living sacrifice? I didn't really understand that. And really, God was very patient with me for a long time. Um, and so to kind of put it more bluntly, I was really, really hung up on the broken part of becoming a Christian. And I just didn't get past that for a long time. And being broke, brokenness is something I think everybody goes through, whether they're a Christian or not, whether they believe in Jesus. And certainly, if you worship Jesus as a disciple, there's times when you're going to feel broken over your sin or just over the state of the world or anything like that. But it was something that I, that's where I lived. I lived in brokenness. I lived in the place every day where I said, I'm really horrible. And um, all I do is sin. And I don't know what else I can do. And the guilt and the shame and all those things that came with like, you know, maybe I'm not going to listen to Cademan's Call. Maybe I'm going to go get that new U2 album. And then I'm like, I got to go sell it back at CD Source because I'm not supposed to listen to non-Christian music. I mean, these are the kind of things that really tore me up. And it's very funny now. And I hope that some of you are laughing because you were like that and you've gotten over it, hopefully. Um, And, uh, you know, I basically, like the way I would put it now was I lived on Good Friday. I lived in Good Friday. And it just was like Easter was like a place I visited very rarely. And so God has been patient with me, like I said, and he's really taught me a lot. And I think that there were fruits that were starting to be sown then. And um, he did a lot of good things through that time. But if any of you can relate to that, or maybe that's in a place you're at right now, We're going to look at this piece of scripture in Romans 12 that talks about living sacrifice. Um, Certainly, um, in the Old Testament, the Israelites sacrificed animals or uh, parts of their crops. And the better the sacrifice, the better standing they might have had or the worse sin they did, the bigger thing they needed to sacrifice. Um, And a lot of people couldn't sacrifice more than just a really small bird. And then other people were rich enough, they could sacrifice a whole fattened calf. And uh, they were supposedly maybe closer to God through that. And we think that's ridiculous until we really think about how we view sacrifice today and what we're maybe willing to give up to be closer to God or to be more holy or to be in better standing. Um. In the, in the times of the Romans, Paul wrote this letter to the Romans. He was writing to a bunch of people, many of whom were Jewish. So they thoroughly understood the idea of sacrifice. Even the Gentiles who didn't sacrifice to Yahweh, they knew what sacrifice was. It wasn't something that only Christians did. And really, the word itself, we know that you can sacrifice anything to an idol. And so... Um, These people, they're sitting around, they're listening to a letter, many of them Jews, but many of them not, both men and women. We know from the very beginning of the letter, it says brothers and sisters, um, which was also a strange thing for that time. We know that there were people who owned slaves and people who were slaves in this church community. We know that there were people who were very wealthy and people who were basically destitute. Um, And so... Like today, it was just a hodgepodge of people. Um, I would like to ask you guys, what would you say is like the number one thing people want to sacrifice today? 
Anybody want to call something out? To make them feel better, make them feel closer to God or more holy or just be a better person. Money, yes, of course. Social media, oh yeah, that's a big one. Come Lent time, lots of people getting off social media. Food, yes. Caffeine, anything that, you know, anything that we like and it's hard for us to give up. Um, Nobody said this, but the one thing that I thought of immediately was time. Giving up your time is you only do that to things you care about. If you don't care about something, you're not really going to give up for it. Um, So before I get into reading this, I just want to say that just like today, back then, it was easy for people to say, just tell me what I really need to know to be good with God. What are the things I need to do and what are the things I need to not do or do less? Or if I do this bad thing, what's a good thing that I can do to get back in good standing with God or to become a better person? Um, We think that way today, Um, especially if you're not consciously thinking in a different thought pattern. That's really very common to human nature, um, that idea of balance and thinking that we need to earn it. We need to earn our salvation or just earn that reputation that people might think we have if we kind of slack off, we think, i got to earn that reputation back. i got to make sure people think I'm a good person. Um, and it's a really common human experience. So I think um, this letter to Romans, especially this chapter, really applies to everybody. Um, and I've just been really hung up on it for a while. And I would encourage you um, to really be open to whatever God is laying on your heart. Um, certainly, I may say something really stupid and that doesn't apply to you at all, or may speak, misspeak, um, but be open to what God has to say to you tonight as we read a scripture. So you'll see the, uh, the verses up here, but you can certainly grab a Bible in front of you or get on your phone, um, and we're out of Romans chapter 12. So it starts like this. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so when we become a disciple to Jesus, who is really pretty much opposite of the other gods that people worshipped at the time of Romans, and very much unlike what people worship today, money, fame, um, power. He wants us. He doesn't just want our stuff. Um, and the only reason he wants us is because he, we are God's children. He can transform us. When we dedicate our whole self, I'm going to read this out of the message translation at the end as like a whole letter. And when we can become a living sacrifice, which that may still be a a mysterious thing, that living part of sacrifice. When we can do that, we are truly living. 
We're living the life God has for us. Um, and if we think, you know, Paul's writing this letter, but if we kind of go back to Jesus, Jesus was the sacrifice. He's not really asking us to do anything he hasn't already done, and he did it perfectly. We're not going to do it perfectly. This is a continual thing. It's not a one-time thing. So back to that verse from Cademan's call, and I said, anybody feel like a burnt offering? The reason I always felt like a burnt offering was I really just wanted to do the thing one time. The problem is you do the thing one time, and you know in your heart, God wants more from you, not to, like, make you worse off, but because he wants you. And um, the Israelites then, we today, we can make a religion so cut and dry, so black and white, that there's really not even a need for a, a living God. And our God is living, and so he's asking us to be a living sacrifice. There is a life after the sacrifice. It's not a one-time thing, and it's, it's how to be truly alive. So if you look on this next slide, um, the act of worship. We think of worship as just being when we sing, or maybe you're worshiping right now because you're kind of thinking and learning, or maybe tonight you're going to go home and pray. We think of that as worship. And so I just want to challenge you to kind of think bigger than that. So dedicating our whole self to God is a life of worship. And that may seem like an obvious statement, or maybe it doesn't to you. Maybe that's a new way of thinking. But my question is, if, we, if this idea of being a living sacrifice is our whole self, mind, body, spirit, what are you holding back? Are you holding something back? That's not a question anybody needs to answer out loud. Certainly, y'all can talk about it in groups. Um, but it's easy to say, God, you get this, but this other thing, I'm going to hang on to. Or maybe it's the other way around. I'll give you all this. I'll give you my whole weekend. But I'm going to get Monday morning when I'm going to be a horrible person to everybody on the road and when I drive to school. By the way, that is directed at myself. Okay. That is not part of the message. That is part of how I have been uh, convicted this, while I've been preparing for this. And so he wants our whole self. And then there's this idea of being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so when we think about, well, what is the pattern of this world? Um, don't conform to the pattern of this world. And this one you can say out loud. This is a fun one. What's the pattern of this world, then and now? Love of money. Power. Me over we. Sin. That cuts right to it. Death. Oppression. Disease. Busyness. Distraction. Could be laziness also. Violence. What was that? Influence. Yeah, I told you all this was a fun one. Pressure? Yeah, I totally agree with that one. That's a good one. Pride. So these are easy to point out because we know what we're not supposed to do. It's easy to look at 
It wasn't a gotcha. I didn't mean it like that, but now it kind of comes across as that. Um, but this is, a, this is the things we know we're not supposed to fall into. There's a trap in a sin in that it becomes appealing, or at least it feels good in the moment, even when you know it's wrong, sometimes. And it kind of pulls us back in, um, and sometimes over and over and over. So how do we break that cycle? I mean, Jesus broke the cycle, so you really don't have to worry about how you break the cycle. Jesus did it on the cross, and then he did rise again. So he did it. He killed sin. He killed death. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, Dr. Martin Luther King, he, uh, I love looking at his sermons when I'm preparing for something. I tend to not do that until after I'm pretty much ready, but he kind of, he preached on this, and you can look up all of his sermons, and they're, they're really good. Um, he called this, a tra- called his people to be transformed nonconformists. Transformed nonconformists. So not conforming to the pattern of the world, but being conformed to the way of Jesus. And likely, you are being conformed in some way right now, as I am and everybody in the human history. We are being conformed to something. It's not really a part of human condition to stay the exact same forever. We change. We transform. We conform. Are we conforming to Jesus? Are we being transformed by Jesus? So there's a couple questions here. I know you're reading them, so I'll just say them out loud. How are you being renewed right now? How is Jesus, how is God renewing your mind? Is he? Do you have any time in your day where it's quiet enough to hear what he has to say? Are you reading his words? Are you thinking about his words, his actions? And then what are you conforming to? Again, we're not answering these out loud. These are just questions for thought. Um, Jesus challenged the thinking of everyone at his time. Some of the stuff he says today, if you said it and you didn't say Jesus said this, it would start a Twitter war, as lots of people love doing, especially right now. Um, if you just took some, some words of Jesus, put them on Twitter, lots of people would disagree over whether they like it or they don't like it. If they didn't re- know, it was from Jesus. So he was shocking in his day and still now. He challenged the thinking. Okay, He, he kind of woke people up from thinking about earning their own salvation and figuring it out on their own. So when I think about conformed, conformity, a lot of people have a reaction of, ugh, are we all supposed to be the same? I mean, you can look around this room and see that we're not all the same. We don't sound the exact same. I think my hope is that in the ways we are alike and the ways that we do sound the same, it is because we're following Jesus together and have been, several of us, for a very long time. Um, But have you ever been in a place with a bunch of people who profess to know Jesus and they all conform to each other, but it doesn't really look like Jesus? That happens, too. And it doesn't just happen today. It's happened all throughout the history of the church. Um, if you ever do go look up the sermon that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, had on this, he really calls, calls it out as he sees it in his day. 
um, but also talks about the whole history um, of people in Jesus' name killing other people. And so that's an extreme. There's certainly less extreme things where we can maybe conform to church or conform to an idea. And if y'all can't tell, I'm really trying hard to not be political because if I say anything, I've already said the word political, so now you're really thinking it. And um, it's, it doesn't really matter which way you fall in politics. It's very easy to adopt some ideology in the name of Jesus and then follow it far, far from him, regardless of where you land. And so I didn't, this wasn't the intent to do this before election day, but I know we can't escape it right now, this idea of um, people using the name of Jesus to say things that aren't in his name. And so we can go ahead and move on. Um, the whole next chunk of this chapter has to do with the body of Christ. So I had asked about conformity and do we all look the same. The next verses tell us exactly that, that, that we don't all look the same because um, this spells out that we all have different roles to play in the church. So it was never the intention that we all are going to be the exact same. So I'll go ahead and read the verses, and then I'm going to ask you a, a pointed question, maybe even a personal question. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is in serving, then serve. If it is in teaching, then teach. And if it is to encourage, then give that encouragement. If it is in giving, then give generously. And if it's to lead, do so diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We're called into different roles. And when I think about Jesus, he knew his role. He wasn't above serving, but he knew his role. He didn't try to play every single role. We're called to live out our own giftedness in this church. I love that I've been a part of this body of people for so long um, because I've really gotten to see some people really shine in their gifts, grow from maybe from one into another or discover after years something that they are gifted in or something that God has called them in. And I've experienced this personally. Y'all have to understand that if, again, if you had asked 20-year-old Toby, who is, by the way, going to be a teacher, to get up and speak in front of anybody, I would have been terrified. And, and I knew that that was going to be a career problem for me. But I wasn't thinking about this. This was the last thing on my mind at that time. I never thought I would be a pastor. First of all, I grew up in a church that did not believe women um, would ever teach men and women. Um, and, but besides that, that wasn't even on my mind. Um, that's something that God called to me over a long period of time. Um, and really, right now, 
My calling as a pastor in this church is looking and changing all the time, different roles. Um, we were kind of talking about it before, but depending upon who you get up here, Jason, uh, Adam, or I, we kind of have different styles. And, um, and it's interesting to see um, how God has really shaped that in each of us. And I, um, this is also a good time for me to say thank you, church, for pastor appreciation. As my first year of being a pastor in this church, um, I wasn't really sure what to expect because I'm, I'm, you know, new into this. And so I just want to thank you for your generosity. You made me feel loved and appreciated. So what role is God calling you into? You might be, like I am, living out a new role right now. Or you might be thinking, the role I'm at right now uh, I, I, this is where I'm supposed to be, and this is, I, I know this is what God's calling me into. Or you may think, I have no idea what God's calling me into. Um, or you may feel burdened. Um, I know I've personally experienced this where I've done things in service of a church, and it really burdened me after a while because it wasn't to my giftedness. It was something I was willing to do, um, but it wasn't... It wasn't to my giftedness. And without fail, every time that I left something like that, God filled it with someone who did it much better than I could. So sometimes it's our own pride of not letting things go. Um, and thinking that we're all God can get. We're the best God can do. And I hope that that's never true. Um, and if you're thinking, how do I know this? Um, I'm doing a pray class right now um, with a group of people. I'm thinking about doing it, kind of making it an ongoing thing, like new people can join it if they like later after a few months. And I would really encourage you if you, if you aren't actively seeking out God, if, uh, if this is your start here, just showing up here, and you're not really thinking about God much throughout the week, um, I would encourage you to lean in. And really uh, let him into more of your life. Dedicate that whole self to God. Because that is the way to true life. And then you think, well, how can we possibly do all this? And so we get to this last chunk. I say last chunk. It's really like the longest part of the verses. But it really just says the same thing over and over and over again. Anybody want to know what it is? It's the most common commandment we have. Love, yes, love. Okay, so this last part of Romans 12, Paul kind of is explaining, this is how you're going to do it. He doesn't really say, this is how you're going to do it. I'm, I'm reading that into it because these are all pretty intense things um, that he's challenging this body of believers to do. If you're reading out of the NIV, it may actually say love in action. Not all Bibles have those, like, titles. I, sometimes I really like the title, and I do love this title, love in action. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. 
Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's like he's saying, I know this is a really, really tough one out of all of these. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I feel like that, I just, I've kind of been stuck on that. If you're, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, if you don't have anything that you're kind of contemplating, even if this whole chapter seems a lot, just that part, um, or anything from the Sermon on the Mount, but just this idea of love. Jesus showed us how to love. So if we think we're loving and we're not really sure, we can think about what did it look like for Jesus to love? Um, Because sometimes we think we're being loving by some kind of action or word. Um, But it might look more like control. Um, And so Jesus is our guide. He did this. He helped a lot of people fix something broken inside. And he did it with love. This love, this deep, pure love, it's essential if we're going to live this life in the way of Jesus. So who is God calling you to love right now? If a name pops out in your mind, write it down. Put it in your phone. That's the Holy Spirit telling you, this person needs to be loved. Or maybe there's something in your heart that God wants to transform. So it's all about following the person of Jesus as opposed to just doing and saying the exact right things. And follow-up questions of who is God calling you to love right now? How did Jesus love? That's how we're to love. Who did Jesus love? That's who we're called to love. So in this passage, we're called to give up our bodies as a sacrifice, renew our minds to his way of thinking, Let our spirit be transformed, live in his community, and love his people. This is the life of being a disciple of Jesus, and it is the way to true life. Lean in when you mess up, or if you lack faith or have doubts. He will be faithful to you. So before I kind of end... Um, I want to read this passage of scripture one more time because I feel like uh, reading it one more time is always good. You might hear something different the second way through. I am going to read out of the message translation. Um, And if you're not familiar with that, it's just a more, it's a different way, more like how we're speaking today in our modern English. And it might get you out of your preconceived notions of what this passage means 
And maybe God sparks something in you when you hear this. Um, these letters that Paul wrote, by the way, would have been carried by a letter carrier. And this would have been something that Paul, somebody that Paul trusted, um, probably somebody that knew the context for everything behind the letter, um, so that if there were questions for the people, that person could help. Um, later on in Romans, Paul identifies the letter carrier as Phoebe and kind of names her basically a deacon. Um, and so I know there's some other places in the Bible, uh, or in Romans in particular, where, uh, or in the other p letters of Paul, sometimes he says who the letter carrier is, and sometimes he didn't. Um, but I just want you, and Phoebe might not have been the one who read the letter aloud, but she might have been. And that's huge. That would have also just been shocking for that time. Um, and so I just want you to imagine me as Phoebe. I got this letter from Paul. I'm going to Romans. I'm in this very diverse group of people. And they know of Paul, and they want Paul to visit, and he hasn't been able to visit there yet. And, he, and then a whole long letter is read. Um, and then they would have read it many times over. And so I'm just going to read chapter 12 again in the message translation. It's not on your screen, so just listen. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted in your culture, to your culture, that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of a deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important to you, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us not by what we are and what we do for him. In this way, we are like the various parts of a body, of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole and not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we, ourselves, since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something that we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take it over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. And keep a smile on your face. 
Love from the center of who you are and don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy and share tears when they're down. Get along with each other and don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I will take care of it. Our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, go get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. Amen. May you leave this place as living sacrifices, an offering of worship and thanksgiving, of praise and prayer or righteousness and renewal. May the Holy Spirit transform your heart and mind so that you may recognize God's presence in every interaction and distraction. Go now to hear the whisper of the Spirit, to know the will of the Father, and to walk in the way of Jesus.